The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Just a reminder, exciting chaos begins June 4th. On June 4th, Children's Ministry is moving to Creekside. The 815 service uh, resumes on August 20th, starting June 4th. There'll be uh, no 815 service. And then uh, we start a new series called Questions. And in that series, we have on our website about 25 questions. We're actually going to go to our website, check off the top 10. Which 10 would you like to see answered this summer in that series? And there's also a fill-in. You can write in a question you might want answered. So uh, we'll choose from those, and then we'll preach the whole series this summer. We have 10 weeks from June 4th through mid-August, and that's going to be our summer series this summer. Hosea chapter 3. Hosea chapter 3. We're in the middle of a, uh, this is our fourth out of six weeks looking at Hosea. And as we study God's word together, we're looking at the prophet, his wayward wife, and how it parallels what's happening in the nation. Hosea chapter three, verse one. Then the Lord said to me, go again and love a woman who is loving other men, still an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer half of barley. Then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So I will also be towards you. Father, as we open the word now, we've rejoiced with families dedicating little ones. We've worshiped in song. We've honored mamas. And now, Father, would you teach us from your word? Spirit of God, would you instruct us? And would you help us to know truth and apply truth, not to be merely those who see the word, but those who do the word? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Moms, ladies, you ever been thoroughly, thoroughly embarrassed before? I mean, something happened in your life where you're thoroughly embarrassed and, uh, and just had a hard time getting over it. I thought about having two or three ladies come up and share that experience, but I uh, figured that would not be a good thing on Mother's Day, and Bev highly discouraged that, so I'm a wise husband and wise man, we're not going to do that. But uh, I do have a great story of a mom who experienced extreme humiliation and embarrassment. If you've been at TBC for a while, maybe you've heard it before. Uh, the author writes, you ever notice how a four-year-old's voice is louder than even hundreds of adults in a gathering place? Several years ago, I returned home from a trip when a storm hit with crashing thunder and severe lightning. As I came into my bedroom, uh, having driven in from the airport about 2 a.m., I found my children in bed with my wife, Carrie, apparently scared by the storm. So I resigned myself to sleep in the guest bedroom that night. The next morning over breakfast, I explained to my kids that when I was on a business trip and had been gone for several days, that daddy was supposed to spend the night with mommy in her bed, and therefore they weren't going to sleep with her when I was away. I left on a business trip several weeks later. On my return, uh, my family came to pick me up at the airport. The plane was late, so they were waiting for me in the baggage area. Excuse me. As I was coming down the escalator, my four-year-old son screamed out, hey, dad, I've got some great news. I waved at him and said, what's the great news? He screamed out above the voices of everybody in the airport wondering what the great news is. He said, nobody slept with mommy when you were away this time. (laughs) The author says, the airport became very quiet (laughs) as everyone in the waiting area looked at Alex and they turned and looked at me and then they searched the rest of the area to see if they could figure out who the mom was. And I watched as my wife was walking away to make sure that nobody found out. (laughs) That is embarrassment and humiliation, even if it's a misunderstanding about a child's communication. But I'm going to tell you, my friends, the embarrassment and humiliation of that is nothing compared to what Hosea has been through. Hosea has been through the ultimate embarrassment 
and the ultimate humiliation. His wife has rejected him, not just for another lover, but a series of lovers. His wife has left him not for another man, but for multiple men. And he is rejected and he is spurned. He is one who is embarrassed, who is living in pain, who is struggling. And as we lead this passage another time, as we look at God's relentless love, this morning we're going to look at God's redeeming love. And to those of us who have been the prodigal, this story is very painful. To those of us who have endured the prodigal, it's a difficult thing to study. But the reality of it is it's your story and it's my story because we have been prodigals on the run from God before our salvation and some even after our salvation. And so this is a story, it's your story and it's my story. It's a story that pictures what's happening in the nation, a story of what's happening to us. Just to remind you of the context of what we're looking at. The days of Israel were days when they were playing the harlot and Hosea's family becomes a living picture, an object lesson, if you will, of what's happening in the nation. And so just as the nation was playing the harlot, Hosea's wife was playing the harlot. And just as the nation was unfaithful, Hosea's wife was unfaithful. And just as Hosea's heart was torn asunder, God's heart was torn asunder because of his wayward people. The godly prophet Hosea is all alone. His bed is no longer a bed of tenderness, but now it's a bed of tears. It's no longer a place of love, but a place of loneliness. His life is a series of hopeless days and sleepless nights. His is a pilgrimage of pain, pain that some of you have experienced and some of you know about. In Hosea's life, it seems like it's never going to end. It it goes on and on and on. The scriptures don't give us chronology here, but we know that the nation of Israel was separate from God for quite a season. And so I'm assuming if, if Hosea's marriage reflects what's happening in Israel, days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, and months turn into years. I can't be firm about that, but that's what it seems to me. And what we see happening in the nation of Israel is what's happening in Hosea's family and what happens in the hearts of men and women today. We become unfaithful, we turn from God, we walk away from God rather than following after God, and we too play the harlot, so to speak. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the whole chapter, there's an amazing story that unfolds in the midst of this drama. As we look at this drama overall, the most amazing part of it unfolds right here in chapter 3. Because what we see is a spurned prophet buying back his wife. What we see is a spurned prophet being asked by God to do the impossible. And so verse 1 is really a plea. It's a plea from God to Hosea to do something that seemingly none of us would ever want to do or could do. In fact, the Net Bible, which is a translation I enjoy reading as I do this, says it this way. If you look up on the screen, it says, The Lord said to me, go show love to your wife again, even though she loves another man and continually commits adultery. You see, it seems like a period of time has gone by because now the Lord has given Hosea instructions. In chapter 2, he has brought gifts to his wife, but she has mocked him and attributed those gifts to her lovers. The same thing has happened in the nation of Israel. In the nation of Israel, God has provided crops. He's provided fertility. He's provided numerous things, but the nation has not given him credit. They worship Baal instead. And in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, he says, even though your wife is unfaithful, even though your spouse is with another person, I want you to go and I want you to love on her. Likewise, the Lord loves the Israelites, although they turn to other gods and love to offer raising cakes to idols. He says, Hosea, just as is happening in the nation of Israel, is happening in your family. My love is relentless. I want your love to be relentless for your wife. If you look at the end of the verse, we don't offer raisin cakes. To, we don't even know what raisin cakes are. Probably closest thing we have to those are maybe fig newtons if you've ever eaten those. But, but a raisin cake, interesting if you do a little study on it, the, the particular Hebrew word used for that is the root word for compressed. So it's fruit that's been compressed together, kind of like a, a bar, if you will. 
And when we look at that, what we recognize is that raisins were considered by some as an aphrodisiac. I mean, they were the Viagra of the ancient Near East, if you will. And so what would happen is they would take and offer these raisin cake to the idols and they would eat them, hoping the response would be one of virility. And so they would offer these things to them, to Baal, to gods, and the, the raisin cakes would function in that way, or they hoped they would function in that way. But don't miss the important part here. God says, Hosea, even though your wife is unfaithful, I want you to be faithful to her. Even though your wife does not come to you and pursue you, I want you to pursue her because that's what I do for and with my people. He's a God who relentlessly loves us. He's a God who never gives up on us. He's a God who pursues us. He's a God, as one author says, who he's the hound dog of heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I've tried to put myself in Hosea's situation. If you had an unfaithful spouse who cheated on you multiple times and was still living in that sinful situation, and God said, I want you to go and love her, I think I would say, uh, what was that, God? Uh, God... Don't, don't you remember when I brought her gifts and she mocked me? God, don't, don't you know I've chased after her and she's rejected me? God, don't you know these kids, two of them may not even be mine and I'm caring for them? God, God, don't you have another solution here? But we don't find any excuses from the heart or the mouth or the lips of Hosea. Well, we don't find him offering excuses, but we see as a heart of obedience because the will of God is made clear to him. So let me pause for a second. You ever clearly know what the will of God is and say, "Mm -mm, not going to do it, not going to do it. Or you know what the will of God is and you kind of shrug your shoulders and go your own way. Uh, Last week I was in 1 Thessalonians in my own quiet time up at the office and just reading through 1 Thessalonians, reflecting on the goodness of God and, and I'm studying this passage and I realized two times in 1 Thessalonians says, this is the will of God, this is the will of God. So if you want to do the will of God, you go to 1 Thessalonians, and there are two places where it specifically says that. In 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it says, it's the will of God, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that is, grow spiritually. To do so, abstain from sexual immorality. Now, that's pretty clear. It's a pretty clear teaching. Just as God clearly spoke to Hosea, the word of God clearly speaks to us. If you want to do the will of God, you abstain from, the Greek word used there is pornea. So you, you, you live a radically pure life in an age of radical impurity. That's what God's called us to do. He's called us to live radically pure in an age of impurity. That means that a sexual relationship is between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman only. That's the will of God. It's very clear. Then a little later on in First Thessalonians, it says, this is the will of God. To give thanks in some circumstances, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. No, it doesn't say it. it says give thanks in good circumstances, doesn't it? Give thanks when you're blessed, right? What's the Greek word for all mean? Yeah. I say, really, Gary? Hey, I didn't write that. It's the inspired, inerrant word of God. In everything, I'm to give thanks. It doesn't mean that everything is good. We've said that a hundred times. In Romans 8, 28, it says all things work together for good. Not all things are good, but all things can work together for good. You know, in my personal life, cancer is not good. But God can take cancer and he can make it and weave it together so it produces good in my heart and my life, things in my life that needed to change so I could be more like Jesus. He's refined me, sharpened me through an education that I didn't volunteer for. But I recognize all circumstances or opportunities to give thanks. 
So let me ask you a question. Are you doing that? Pastor Gary, I want to walk in the will of God. If you walk in the will of God, you're going to be sexually pure and give thanks in all things. In fact, you give thanks in all things, you know what it is? It's a reflection of your heart being filled with the Spirit. Because in Ephesians 5.18, it says, don't be drunk with wine because that's excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The next three verses tell us what it means to be Spirit-filled. Ephesians 5.19, 20, and 21. The first one says, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit, making melody in your heart, singing praises unto the Lord. So the first mark of a Spirit-filled life is not things like speaking in tongues. The first mark of a Spirit-filled life is giving praises to God. The second mark is thanksgiving. It says, in all things give thanks. And then thirdly, it says, live a life of submission to one another. Those are the three marks of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Praise, thanksgiving, and submission. So back to Hosea. The plea is very clear. Hosea, go and love your wife, even though she's with other men. And so we go to verse 2. And we move from the plea to the purchase. From the plea to the purchase. Now the Scriptures don't tell us exactly how this unfolded, but we do know some things about the ancient Near East. It says, I bought, so Hosea bought his wife. Let's stop right there. Where would you buy people? I mean, if you lived in that day and age, or if you lived in the early years of America, where would you go to buy a person? You would go to the auction block where slaves were bought and sold. You would go to the place where men and women, slaves, were bought and sold. So we read Hosea chapter 3, verse 2, and with a little sanctified imagination, we can begin to imagine what happened. Hosea receives instructions from the Lord. Maybe word is filtered down through the streets that Hosea's wife is a temple prostitute because the prophets of Baal had prostitution as part of their worship and they would bring women in there. Men would cohabit with them or, or, or be involved with them sexually and they would somehow call that worship. Remember, Baal's a fertility goddess. And so we're not sure how this unfolds, but we know he goes to buy his wife. So maybe word in the street that there's going to be an auction that day. And so Hosea winds his way with the crowds through the streets. He comes to the place where the auction takes place. The priests of Baal come out and they have with them maybe 5, 10, 15 women. They're to be placed on the auction block that day. And one woman comes up and they bid on her and she sold to the highest bidder. And you know how an auction is, as I break my neck up here. You know how an auction is. And, and so the auctioneer begins to, to begin to sell other women. And, and then Hosea looks. And he can't believe it. We don't know how long it's been since he's seen her. And he looks in through a veil of tears and a heavy heart and a mind that is filled with all types of thoughts. He recognizes Gomer. Her hair is matted. Her eyes are like those of a wild animal. Her body is emaciated. She's been used by a lot of men. She's been around the block more than once. In fact, we know that she's not even healthy because a healthy slave would bring 30 shekels of silver. If you look at verse 2, it tells you the price that Hosea paid for Gomer. The bidding begins on Gomer. You can almost hear the auctioneer, can't you? Do I have two shekels of silver, two shekels of silver, five shekels of silver, five shekels of silver, eight shekels of silver over here. I got 10 over here. I got 10 over here, 10 once, 10 twice. And then the voice of the prophet that everybody in the audience would recognize, 15 shekels and some barley. It was a familiar voice. It was a voice they had heard many times. It was a voice that had called them to repentance and now the voice of a prophet bidding for his own wife. Gone once, gone twice sold. 
And I would imagine, my friends, that that audience leaned forth in silence. And then I would think maybe ripples of laughter. Who would buy his wife back? And as Hosea went and paid the price, he had several options before him. He could send her away, just as Joseph had that option with Mary when he found out she was with child. Divorce or send her away. In Israel, he could pick up a stone and cast that stone, and everybody would join in, and she would be killed on the spot according to the law. But that was not the plan of God for his people, and it wasn't the plan of Hosea for Gomer. And so he pays the price for his bride. We've been showing you a series of videos and some of you have emailed me in the last two weeks saying, what about those videos? Well, if you haven't been with us, uh, I'm going to connect a few dots for you. In, in the, it's th- these are videos. You can go online. Just Google up Hosea Videos Irving Bible Church. There are six videos, one for each message we're preaching. In the first video, if you're not with us, it's a story of a young man and a young woman, and they're at the altar, and they get married, and then just a few days into their marriage, a young man comes home in the afternoon, and he still had just married painted on the back of his car, but when he enters his house and walks up the steps, his wife is in bed with another man, and you see a ring crashing to the ground, and you see a broken-hearted young man. And so... What is the modern-day parallel? This is a modern-day parallel to Gomer and Hosea. What's a modern-day parallel to redemption? Hosea is redeeming his wife. So watch the video as we reintroduce to our friends who we've looked at each week.
Just as that young man redeemed and restored his wife, Hosea redeemed and restored Gomer. And God has paid the price for our redemption to restore us to relationship with him. And when you look at what God did for us, that's why this is a relentless love. This is why it's a redeeming love. If you look at verse 3, we move from the, the plea to the purchase to the plan. And it, it says, I, I, you shall stay with me for many days. You'll not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. And I will be this way to you also. So you're not going to be with anyone. You're going to remain pure and chaste. Hey, you're you're going to be my bride again. And then what we see is the consequences of sin in verse 4. The sons of Israel remain for many days and the scene switch and it tells us that there's going to be a time of exile in Israel's history, a time when the consequences of sin are going to take place and you'll remain here for many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, a pillar, without ephod, without household items. You're going to be taken away and that is what happened. The Assyrians, the Babylonians came in and took them away. But then in verse 5, we see future hope. It says, Afterward, the sons of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. And so what we see here is that there's a time when indeed the one who's redeemed us, the one who's paid the price, will give Israel hope and restoration one day. Three lessons from Hosea's life, and we'll conclude. The first lesson is very simple. It's an analogy that we see the price has been paid for our redemption. Accept it. You see, when we look at Hosea's life and Hosea's story, it's a very familiar story. It's a story that that we've been looking at for weeks, but don't miss the most important teaching here. The most important teaching here is just like Gomer, we were slaves. Just like Gomer, we were in bondage. Just like Gomer, we played the harlot. We rejected God's repeated offer of himself to his son for our salvation. And we too have been unfaithful. We too have played the harlot. Maybe before all of us, before salvation, some of us afterwards have walked away from God. But our Savior paid the price for that. We spurned his love. We were unfaithful, but he continued to love us. It's a relentless love. And when we were on the slave block of sin, while we were yet sinners, Christ paid the price for our redemption. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, it says, You were bought with the price, therefore glorify God with your bodies. You live your life to glorify God. You live it through his grace, through his mercy. You worship him because of what he has done for you. Because he's bought us with the price, we honor him, we glorify him. Scriptures also teach us this in 1 Peter, for we, you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you're redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but you redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb, the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You see, the price of redemption for Gomer was not that high, 15 shekels in the home I have for barley, but the price for our redemption was literally out of this world. The price for our redemption is the blood of Christ. The price for our redemption couldn't be with anything we had, not our silver or our gold, but the price of our redemption could only be through the lamb who was without blemish or defect. An obvious obvious reference to the Passover lamb, the one whose blood would be applied to the doorpost so the nation of Israel could survive and when the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorpost of our heart, likewise, we too are spared. So the price of redemption has been paid. It's not enough just to know that. You have to accept that. You have to come to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He's paid the price for that. And I trust that you've done it. If you haven't, what a great way to celebrate Mother's Day. To trust Christ, the Redeemer, for the first time. Secondly, rejected love can be restored, reconciled. I mean, we see what the Redeemer has done, but don't miss what Hosea has done. 
He has been spurned time after time after time, and he has a plea from God to go after his wife, and he does it, and that rejected love is restored. You heard a story of a couple here yesterday, last week, the Spiegels, who shared their story on how they were restored and reconciled, and it's a story of many of you in this body. You went through times of distance, times of separation, even times of divorce, because God brought you back together. And what we see here is the great gift that God does of restoring broken love. Restoring broken love. For some of you, the application today is restoration. Restoration to a broken relationship. It may be with a spouse. It may be a mom or dad. It may be a son or a daughter. It, it may be a, a colleague at work. It may be a coworker. It may be a, a neighbor down the street. It may be somebody from this church or another church in the past. But God's calling you to reconciliation today. You want to write a name down? You ready? Who is it that God, the Spirit of God, is convicting you right now to reconcile with? Who is that? Got your devices? Got your pen? They're sitting next to you. Don't type it in right now. God has called you to reconcile. Rejected love can and should be restored. It's a story of a guy named Alvin Strait. This is Alvin Strait. Alvin Strait was 71 years old. He couldn't drive anymore because of his eyesight. He had a brother who was 10 years older than him, and they had not spoken in years. You can Google it up and read it. He had spoken to him in several years. He was convicted to reconcile with his brother. His brother uh, had a stroke. He was afraid his brother would die. And uh, Alvin Strait wanted to see his brother. The problem is Alvin Strait lived in Iowa. His brother lived 205 miles away in Wisconsin. So he decided he wanted to do this on his own terms. His sons offered to drive him to see his brother, but he refused. And he, he, was given, he had plenty of money to catch a bus or whatever, but he refused to do that. Uh, so he went out and bought a John Deere tractor. He had a trailer that he had made for his farm. He loaded it with food, camping gear, and gasoline. And he took off. It, at the top speed of five miles an hour, it took him six weeks to go from his farm in Iowa to his brother's farm in Wisconsin six weeks. That's a stubborn old man is what that is. I mean, there are a lot of ways to get there. But I don't want you to miss the point of the illustration. He was in relentless pursuit to reconcile a broken relationship. To ride on a tractor on a lawnmower 205 miles over six weeks to reconcile a broken relationship is an amazing thing. So what has God called you to do? What relationship's been broken that needs to be repaired? What needs to be mended in your life? I pray that you'll be a doer of the word, not just a hearer, this week. And you'll follow through with that person that's in your mind and on your heart right now to reconcile that broken relationship. And finally, God is faithful even when we are fickle. Therefore, love him and worship him and honor him. This is the story ultimately, about Hosea's God. Sure, Hosea's family is a picture of what's happening here. But ultimately, this is a story about Hosea's God. A God who faithfully, relentlessly pursues you to the point of redemption. A God who loved you so much, according to John 3.16, that he gave his what? Only begotten Son. God so loved the world. He gave his Son on your behalf. And so this Mother's Day, I hope you recognize the price for your freedom has been paid in full. You couldn't pay for it, he did. And you can trust Christ. And you can be reconciled. And you can honor him.
And you can be the one who stands up and says, my God is a God of redemption who redeems and restores as he relentlessly pursues us. This summer, there's a movie coming out called Dunkirk. Have you seen it advertised? I've seen it advertised. Anybody else see it advertised? Bev has because she was in the movies with me. Okay, about six of us have. I, I, I can't wait for that movie to come out because I love World War II history and the story of Dunkirk is one of my favorite stories in all of World War II. If you know the story, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing story. The Allies are on the retreat. The Belgians and Dutch have already surrendered to the Germans. The Germans are pursuing the Allied forces. And on the shores of Dunkirk, that is on the coast of France, just across the English Channel from Great Britain, there are over 300,000 Allied troops. Including that 300,000 Allied troops are 220,000 of Britain's finest. And if you know anything about British history, this is when Winston Churchill went to the radio waves. This is his famous speech, the speech we know as the, uh, as the times of, uh, what are the exact words, times of hard and heavy tidings. It's the hard and heavy tidings speech of Winston Churchill. And he was preparing his nation, preparing his nation for the certain death of tens of thousands of British finest at Dunkirk. The Royal Navy could only rescue about 17,000 people trapped on the shores. But in one of the most amazing feats of maritime and military history, the Germans were advancing with their panzers. The 330,000 plus troops were on the shore waiting to be attacked by the Germans and wait a certain death. And the call went out from Churchill. Because the weather was bad, the Germans stopped their attack. And for the next seven days, I read to you what William Manchester writes in one of Churchill's biographies. He says, then from the streams and estuaries of Kenton Dove, a strange fleet appeared. Trawlers and tugs, scows and fishing sloops, lifeboats and pleasure crafts. The island ferry, the fire brigades, fire float, Tom Southwest, America Cup Challenger Endeavor. Manned by civilian volunteers. English, England's fathers and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers were crossing the channel to rescue their endangered sons. A relentless pursuit. In the first night, the soldiers said they heard the slap, slap, slap of paddles on the water. Not knowing what it was, they began to take cover. And then the mothers and fathers came. And statistics are absolutely amazing. Over the course of the next seven days, from May 29th to June 4th, 338,682 men safely made it to the shores of England. 338,000 in fishing boats and ferry boats and trawlers and pleasure crafts because England's parents relentlessly pursued their sons waiting a certain death. And, you know, I tear up just telling that story. It's the third time I've told it today. And I've read it hundreds of times. But there's a greater story than this. There was a world awaiting certain death. And God the Father desired to save his sons and daughters. And so he sent the only one who could do that. He sent a son who in the fullness of time came and offered himself on a cross and paid the price in full so that we too might be freed.
You know, the story of World War II history is moving. And a great many lives were saved. But the story of Christ is even more powerful because it's an eternal salvation reserved for any of us who will trust him. Father, on this Mother's Day, we thank you for being a father who loved us with a relentless love, a passionate love, a redeeming love. If you're here today, and maybe you know about redemption, but are unsure if you have personally accepted Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sin, I'm inviting you right now, right where you said Mother's Day 2017, to know with certainty that Christ is your Savior. It's not enough to know the story. The Spirit of God is the one who convicts, and maybe your heart's being convicted right now. And I pray right now, you'd pray with me right where you said, Lord Jesus, I ask you for the forgiveness of my sin to be my Savior. And for some of you, maybe it's the recognition that there's a broken relationship that needs to be reconciled. Things are not the way it should be. And that rejected love needs to be restored or at least attempted to be restored. The scriptures say if your brother has something against you, put down your sacrifice and go and be reconciled. I pray that you'll do that today. And for each of us, when we see what the Lamb of God has done for us, all we can do is love him and worship him and glorify him each and every day. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the God only wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Happy Mother's Day.